Hey, this is Miles Hunter. I'm the pastor of TC3 Students, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this message helps you connect to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and gives you the courage to live out your faith in your homes, schools, and community. Enjoy today's message. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the students that sit in this room. God, I pray, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would come into this place and fill our hearts. And God, I pray that in the moments to come that every student would know that they are here with purpose, that they are not here by accident, but you knew well before time began as you knitted them together in their mother's wombs that you knew they would be in the seats that they are in right now. And so God, I pray, I pray that they would know that you are a purposeful God, that you are an intentional God, and that in the moments to come, your personality and your intentionality, God would challenge their hearts. And I pray that they would know that you are real. And so Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. All right, here's, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to walk into this series, and, and here's the reason I prayed, right? I, I really believe with my whole heart that there is an enemy out there, and I really believe that that enemy wants you not to hear anything that I'm about to say tonight, and so with every desire that you may have to not want to listen tonight, to not want to be attentive for just even a second to look at your phone and to not look at the Bible verse that we're talking about, to look at your phone and to go on Snap or to go on Instagram to see what somebody is doing that is not even sitting in this room, I'm going to ask you with everything within you to fight against it. Can you do that tonight? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So, so let's just lock in. Give me, give me 15 to 20 minutes and I promise I will get you out of here and you'll be able to have discussion about what we're talking about tonight. Cool? All right, here we go. So, so we're going to talk about this thing called spiritual warfare, right? Whoa, that was t- and very intense. So we're going to talk about this thing called spiritual warfare. And if you don't want know what spiritual warfare is, spiritual warfare is exactly what, what you would think. It is, it is war that is happening in a realm that you and I cannot see physically with our eyes, but it is active and it is affecting your reality. There is something happening that you cannot see that is affecting your current reality. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about this using, using the, the show Stranger Things because, well, I think it's very fitting and the analogies are kind of perfect. And so we're going to use them to help us understand this spiritual warfare thing. So I, I have to ask, who's seen Stranger Things? Raise your hand. Okay, good, about like 50% of the room, maybe even 70% of the room. All right, so, so 70% of the room has seen Stranger Things. So if you have not seen Stranger Things, I'm just gonna explain it to you just for a second. Take about, mm, I don't know, five to six teenage kids that are in middle school that start middle school and they see all of this crazy stuff happening within their little small town of, of Hawkins, Indiana. And all this stuff is happening because there is an enemy and there is a villain, there is an evil that they don't know about that is currently causing havoc on their world. And this enemy is in what the the storybook calls it or the show calls it the upside down in another realm that they cannot see. 
And then this girl about their age comes onto the scene and she is their quote unquote savior, L, 11 is what they call her. And she's their age and they become best friends with her, but she ends up being the person that is able to rescue them from this villain that they cannot see. And if you're like me, as we await the next season, you probably have tons of questions. Like for me, I'm asking like, is Eddie really dead or is he gonna turn into one of those like bat things? Uh, Is Max ever really going to wake up? Uh, And here's my favorite one. Is Nancy going to end up with Steve or Jonathan? Uh, I'm I'm team Steve, by the way. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's for Steve, 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 Steve. Yeah, Steve's pretty, Steve's pretty awesome. Steve's pretty great. But, but here's the deal, right? The real villain, the real villain appeared who's been pulling all the strings in the shadows all along. He's finally appeared after about four seasons and we know him as, as Vecna, right? He's successfully, yeah, his name's Vecna, kind of like terrifying, but like also kind of cool too. Like he successfully stayed hidden and stayed in the shadows for four seasons. And he stayed in, in what they call, like I said earlier, in the upside down, just another, another di- dimension. And he re- he's revealed himself throughout the four seasons subtly along, along the way. One is like a demogorgon, is a demodog, as a mind flare. Uh, and then like he shows up and he can like take over other people's bodies, which is really scary. Uh, and so like basically in a bunch of monsters, but he's shown up subtly time and time and time again throughout the seasons until he really just reveals himself. And what we need to know is that we too have an enemy hiding in the shadows. Like Vecna, our enemy attempts to isolate us. He attempts to feed us discouragement and despair and plague us ultimately with fear. And all the while, he's simply just trying to rock us to sleep and allowing us to think that he doesn't really exist or that He wants nothing to do with us because we're insignificant. Now, most of us have an idea of the God of the Bible and we believe that, oh my gosh, if there's a good God, then there has to be a bad enemy, an evil, right? And if we say, for most of us, we would associate that evil with with the devil or with Satan, that's what we would call him. But if the devil was our enemy, the question that I continue to ask myself and that I think we need to ask ourselves is if there's a true enemy, if there's a true evil, if there's a true devil and or Satan, what is he doing to hurt you or destroy you? What is his function? What is his daily activity? And how do we recognize it? How do we recognize his presence? And more importantly, who is fighting for us? Who is our L? Who is our savior and does he win? And when it comes to this, we usually sit in two camps as it pertains to angels and demons and and all of these spiritual things. If you come to high school home groups, we're gonna finish this conversation this Tuesday, But, but usually we sit in two camps. Either we're obsessed with the idea of the spiritual realm, we're obsessed with angels and demons and the paranormal, and we love watching these types of movies and we're we're literally consumed by this stuff. We actually watch more and read more about this stuff than we do the text of scripture. Whoa. Or two, we're willing to live in ignorant bliss thinking that the enemy doesn't exist or that he wants nothing to do with us because like I said, we believe that we're insignificant to him and we don't pose a challenge to him. So he's like, "Ah, I'm gonna let them be. 
But here's what, here's what C.S. Lewis says, the author that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia books. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And so what we need to know is that the enemy hates the fact that we're even having this conversation. He hates being identified. He hates being learned about. He hates the fact that his, his stats and his tendencies are about to be put on display because he wants to continue to lurk in the shadows and wreak havoc on your life without you ever actually fighting the battle that is significant in your world. And the first step that we have to take, which we'll take today, is allowing God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to open up our eyes so that we can see when the enemy is on the move and who is fighting for us. And so recognizing our opponent, seeing him, identifying him, is one of the first steps that we have to take in order to allow the Holy Spirit to put him back into his place. And so the main characters of, of Stranger Things, Max, Eleven, Steve, Dustin, my favorite, Lucas, Will, and Mike go to war with Vecna. We see strategies of spiritual warfare in the show put on display for us to see. It's crazy how that happens, isn't it? We watch as they put like clues together and we were drawn in as they learned to identify the tendencies of their enemy. And as we watched them confidently go into battle, they believed that they couldn't lose as long as L was on their side. And that's exactly what God calls us to do when it comes to fighting our enemy, Satan. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's what Paul tells us. He says, our battle is not here. Our battle is not with the person in front of you and your battle is not your situation or your circumstances, AKA people are not your problem. He says, there's a battle that you can't see that the enemy is trying to keep you distracted from so you don't even fight the real battle. And my prayer as we go through the rest of this night is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, for the Ephesians that he is talking to with that particular verse. He says, my prayer is that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom means this. It's the quality of having knowledge or experience and based on that knowledge or experience, we would have good judgment. And revelation is the ability to understand to see what we once did not see and to understand what we once did not understand. And so my goal for us is that we would know the enemy is real, but so is the God of the Bible and he is greater and he's already won. That's my goal tonight, that we would be able to see that we would have revelation and that we would have wisdom that our God is greater and our God has already won and we can walk in that victory with him. And so we're gonna look at a story, one of my favorite stories in the text of scripture as it pertains to spiritual warfare to know that this is true. Second Kings, this, this book about God's people in the nation of Israel that we talk about often is getting ready to go to war. 
And their prophet, a prophet is a guy that speaks for the Lord. So before you and I had the promised Holy Spirit that came when Jesus bled and died for us and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and says, I will send you a comforter. Before we had the Holy Spirit that now lives in us, God was only able to speak to one person for the entire nation, his entire people. And he chose this guy, the prophet Elisha. And so Elisha would speak to the king just for the nation. And they were getting ready to go to war. The Israelites are getting ready to go to war against this, this nation called the Arameans. And the Arameans were led by a king named, well, you guessed it, King Aram, right? So predictable. Oh my gosh. And so, so they were getting ready to go to war. And, uh, and Elisha is telling the Israelites every move that the Arameans are about to make. He's like, hey, uh, don't go there, the king of Israel, because the Arameans are going to be in that valley hey, don't go there because they're actually gonna try and flank you uh, because the Lord told me that. So don't, don't go there, king of Israel either. And the king of the Arameans, well, obviously got ticked off. And so he brought in all his generals and he was like, yo, who keeps telling Elijah where we're gonna be? And one of his generals looks at him and he's like, nobody, king. Elijah has the God of heaven on his side. He is telling him everything. And so the king of the, the Arameans looks at all of his generals and he's like, find out where that cat Elisha lives and we're going to go kill him. And so they do. In the middle of the night, they find out where Elisha was staying and then they surround the city that he was staying in with horses and chariots. And then Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning. And that's where we start in 2 Kings 6. And it says, when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. <laughs> oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Elisha said, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Excuse me? We don't have nobody, sir. There's nobody. There's nobody here, sir. And then Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that on the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The horses and chariots of fire that, that Elisha prayed that his servant would see were the Lord's of heaven's army. It was angels that were standing on the hillside. And Elijah was like, bro, don't worry. God's got us. God's got us. I can only imagine how far the servant's jaw dropped. Like when he actually saw like, excuse me, what do you, okay. But I think many of us genuinely like would understand the crippling fear that he experienced before he could see the Lord of heaven's armies. I think we would know that fear very, very well. I think we can put ourselves in the servant's shoes and see ourselves surrounded by the enemy and have no idea how we were going to get out of the situation and be crippled with fear. And we're taught through this story that the army in front of us isn't always what we're fighting against. For the servant of Elijah, his external, his outward circumstance was that an army had literally come to kill him and his master. But before battle started, there was a war waging in the servant's mind. Fear had begun to cripple him and defeated him before even swords had clung together. This servant was done for. 
And for many of us, the war that rages in our mind takes us out before we even start the game. Before we even face our negative circumstances, we look at it and we back away in fear because the enemy has placed fear in our minds that says, don't even approach that circumstance. Don't even approach that friend. Don't even approach that situation. It's out of your hands. You've lost already. And so we walk in defeat because we believe that we've already lost before the game has even begun. We allow the enemy to cripple us with thoughts of fear, with anxiety, with insecurities that breed lies. And we tell ourselves, there's no way I'm gonna pass that test. There's no way that my friend will ever forgive me. So why should I try? We deserve this. So why would I pray for God to change my situation? Because I deserve the hell that I'm going through. And that's what the enemy does. That's what Satan does. The Bible literally calls Satan a slanderer and an accuser. John 8, says, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what the Bible says about Satan. He is a liar and the father of lies. He hopes that we will take the lies that he plants in our heads and never, ever, ever take them captive as the Bible calls us to. Never praying that God will open up our eyes. He allows us to be distracted by our outward circumstances, by what's happening in front of us, by the terrible things that we see, hoping and praying that we never deal with the real problem. When the real battle is fought right here, it's the concept that I say all the time, the scene of your crime, the crime is your, anybody know? The scene of the crime is your, 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 okay, great. Can everybody say that now? The scene of the crime is your, great, fantastic. That's the scene of the crime. The scene of your, the crime in your life is your mind. It's right here. It's not what's happening to you. It's not the fact that your parents are getting divorced. It's not the fact that you lost your best friend or your girlfriend. It's the fact that you believe somewhere in here that it's because of you. The scene of the crime is your mind. And that's why the text of scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 10:5, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive, AKA whatever you think, grab the thought and align it to the text of scripture. And if the text of scripture opposes what it is that you think about yourself, then throw it in the trash and state the text of scripture over your life until you begin to believe it. And so if you believe in yourself, I am worthless. I have no hope. I have no future. Remember that God says that you are made in his image and that you are made for the praises of his glory. It opposes what you think about yourself. The text of scripture is true, not just what you think. Your feelings are valid. Our feelings are valid. I promise you they are. They are valid, but if we don't take them out and align them to the truth of the gospel, those lies that are there that we feed ourselves and we allow the enemy to feed ourselves will then try and become truth to us and we will walk in that identity. And that is not the identity that Jesus bled and died for us to believe. We cannot fight the enemy blindfolded, guys. 
And so our eyes being open starts with the request that, that Elisha made for his servant, the request that God would open his eyes. And that's, this is important, right? This is why it's so important to be like in biblical community, which means like have, have your partners beside you that love Jesus. Have people beside you that love Jesus because there's going to come a season or has already come a season in your life where, where you are facing a crippling fear, where your circumstance has blinded you from being able to get onto your knees and say, Jesus, I need help. Because genuinely, most of you, like I just had this conversation today, most of you that call Janae and I seeking advice, our first response to you is, well, did you pray about it yet? And you need people in your life that can remind you to do that or that can open your eyes so that you know, man, this, this circumstance, this situation, this thing with my parents, this thing with my friend, this thing with my girlfriend, like I can't really change it, but I can get on my knees and I can ask the Lord to step into the situation. Because nine times out of 10, that's what you need. That's what you need. And so you need somebody to be able to stand in the gap for you and say, you know what, I don't have a solution for you. I can't fix this problem, but how about this? How about we just pause for a moment and we just talk to the Lord about it? If you don't have that person in your life, you need them. If you're too scared to ask somebody in your small group that you know loves Jesus to walk alongside you, then you need to. Pride, don't let pride get in the way from you being armed for spiritual battle. What an opportunity it is to be able to ask God for a friend to say, God, will you open up their eyes so that they would see the real, the real thing? James writes to the Jewish Christians that are scattered all throughout the world as they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes in James 4, 2 through 3, yet you do not have what you want because you don't ask for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want, or you want only what will give you pleasure. AKA, like he says, like if you're praying for your friends or if you're praying for yourself, like pray with purpose. Like he, he, says, he says this very specifically. He's like, you have not because you ask not. So like, if you're like, Lord, I, don't, I, I can't see, right? I can't see the, the spiritual battle that's happening. He's like, well, you didn't ask. And then he says, you also don't have it because your motives are wrong. Your why can be wrong. I love like Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians that we talked about at the beginning. He says, Lord, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Then here's the why, so that they may know you better. Not so that they can become rich, not so that they can become better athletes, not so that they can be better students. He says, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you better. And so as you're praying for a friend or you're praying for yourself, tell God how you're going to use his answer to your prayer to glorify him. God, open up my eyes so that I can trust you more. If we don't pray with purpose, if we pray selfishly, God's like, your motives are wrong. Why would I give you what you want if the only reason you're asking for it is for you and not for the praises of my glory? Pray with purpose. And finally, guys, our perspective of this spiritual issue, of this, of this upside down our perspective of this issue of angels and their function feed our understanding of the character of God. 
And so when the servant Elisha's, of Elisha's eyes were open, and as he saw the army of the Lord, I have to believe that he was struggling with so many emotions. And I'm sure one of them was love. Positive of it. I can only imagine the God of the universe, the God that, that created everything in the entire world, in the cosmoses, in the heavens, and in the earth, the God that created you is intentional about you. He says, like, I see your situation, I see your circumstance, and I have sent, I have sent angels to be with you, to minister to you, to share the gospel with you, to fight for you. That is their function, to serve you. He says, in all of the heavens and the earth, I care about you enough to make sure that you are ministered to, to make sure that you have the gospel, and to make sure that somebody in the spiritual realm is fighting for you. And what's crazy is that even when we can't see it, God still fights. He cares that much. He sees us, knows us, is with us, and is thinking about us enough to send angels to us. It gives me a great amount of peace as I think about who is fighting for me, who is fighting for us, and I'm reminded that the armies of heaven are fighting for us. And that's what brings us peace. It is peace through perspective. When we have the right perspective about the angels of heaven, when we have the right perspective about our upside down, it should bring us peace. And so God says this, as we begin this series, what we need to know is that one, like the upside down exists, two, the enemy is real, three, God is one. God is already one. And if you truly wanna walk in victory, if you don't wanna walk defeated, he says there's, there's three things that we get to do. We get to take every thought captive, we get to pray with purpose, and we get to have a perspective of the heavenly realms that should bring us peace because we know that God sees us and knows us. Take every thought captive, pray with purpose, and have the right perspective of the heavenly realm. I know some of you in this room are like, are genuinely like going through hell, whether it's like a family or whether it's you and you like, you wake up in the morning and all you feel are the lies that have been placed in your head that you've believed forever. And you don't really know how to get rid of them. You really don't. Some of you are connected to Jesus and some of you are far away. Some of you are far away from God. And, and the beautiful thing about the gospel is God says that those who were once far, he has brought near through the blood of Jesus. And so you can be brought near. All you gotta do is say yes. The gospel is the most like confusing, beautiful thing in the world that like we don't fully understand how a, how a God could love us so much that we would say like we sinned against him, we would be enemies of the kingdom of heaven and yet he would send his son to die for us so that we could be back in relationship with him. It doesn't make any sense and he's not necessarily asking you to understand it, he's just asking for your yes. And so like, I want you, if you're sitting in a place and you're like, yo, the enemy is wreaking havoc on my life. 
And I just need to say yes to Jesus and walk into a relationship with him. I need to begin to take my thoughts captive. I need to begin to pray with purpose and I need to have a heavenly perspective so that I can have peace. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you why everybody's hands or eyes are open. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. Raise it high, don't be ashamed. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray with you tonight. I, I really do. I want to pray with you. I want you to. I want you to have victory. I want you to be able to walk out of here and say, "Man, like I want these things. I want biblical community in my world. I want to be able to start praying with purpose. I want to be able to take every thought captive." We're going to talk about that in small group too. But I don't want you to walk out of here if you feel like, "Man, the enemy has had a heyday with my life." I don't want you to walk out of here with that too. I want you to walk out of here in freedom. And so, would you pray with me, guys? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every student that, uh, that sits in this room. I pray against the enemy in the name of Jesus, and I pray, Jesus, that you would allow students to be able, God, to take every thought captive, that they would fight and ask your Holy Spirit to fight with them and for them. I pray, Jesus, that they would, would come to you and that they would pray with purpose, that they would be great friends, and they would stand in the gap for their friends that feel like there is no hope in sight that they would pray that their eyes would be open, Jesus. And I pray, God, that they would have the peace that comes with the perspective of the heavenly realms, knowing and understanding that the God they serve has already won. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are good. And we thank you, God, that you have won the battle. You have won the fight. You have won the war. And I pray that we would walk in that victory. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.